you're here to celebrate Easter with us, and we're very excited about our, uh, our time together, and uh, we enjoy, you know, we, we celebrate Jesus every weekend, but, but uh, this is a, a great time to remember and, and uh, just to be so thankful for all that took place there on the cross and Jesus defeating death and his resurrection. I want to talk a little bit about all of that today with you, and uh, we're going to hop in there. I want to say this. Um, at the end of the service at some point, I'm going to, I'll be, I'll be coming back and I'm going to say, he is risen. And when I say that, you, you're to respond, he is risen indeed. This is something the church will be doing all over the world and has been doing for uh, a very long time historically. And so I'm going to say it once and you're going to say it back. Now I'm going to say it a second time. It's going to be a little bit louder. He is risen. And you're going to say, he is risen indeed, and, and volume should pick up at that point. And then I'm going to do it a third time. He is risen, and when we get to that third one, I want them to be able to hear us down in Key West when you respond, okay? He is risen indeed. So that's your part coming up. It's interactive. So everybody got that? I don't need to... I didn't put it in the bulletin or anything. I thought we'd be good. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And... Uh, I always do bad jokes, you know, and, and I, I got things you really want to talk about, but I better get them out of the way or people will complain. And so I found really bad ones just for Easter. So why are people always tired in April? Because they just finished a march. You like that? And then this, this one for your, this will help everybody with their, their eating over the holiday. What's the best way to keep a cake moist? Eat it all in one sitting. All right. Man, I should have probably stopped after the first one, but it's good. So we, um, we're actually going to sing some more today, and I'm excited about it. I love to celebrate the Lord in song, and it's, it's nice when, you know, and, and people are, are here, and we can just worship Jesus and, and sing to Him in song and praise Him. And so that's, you know, it's so important, our, our, you know, as we remember all that He's done for us on the cross, our, our heart's response is to praise and worship so we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. But uh, I, I want to talk to you today about the empty tomb and what that means to all of us in the process. So our scripture reading today is in Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. And when the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan... They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. 
If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Story. Um, For some people, Easter is just that. It's It's a story. And they don't really believe it. They kind of lump it in with uh, children's stories or, or fairy tales or fables. But the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus is no fable or fairy tale or children's story. These are events that happened in history and changed everything. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is an established fact, and there's a lot of proof. That's why I say that. Um, for instance, one thing we talk about here all the time is what we call the gospel or the good news. And these verses are found in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through, 3 through 6. And this was actually an early church creed that had been started very soon after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Paul was recording it for us within 15 or 20 years of the event. And he said, uh, he wrote this, verse 3. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Now, the gospel or good news, you know, is are those verses that um, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, and, and this is great news because we have an issue. That's why they call it good news. The issue that we have and why Jesus had to do that was our sin had separated us from a holy God. See, God is perfect and holy, and once we sin, we're no longer that way. And, and so we have this big chasm between us in relationship because sin can't be in the presence of a holy God. So we had an issue. And, and we couldn't fix it in our own strength. We could never get back to being sinless or perfect There was nothing we could do, no matter how good we were, no matter how hard we tried. Once we'd sinned, we were separated from God. And all of us have sinned from a very, very young age and and continue uh, in that that process. So we have an issue that we can't fix. And so God comes to fix it. And, And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. God comes fully God, fully man. Jesus enters the scene in a miraculous way, lives a perfect, sinless life that we couldn't, and then willingly, and this is what we celebrate at Easter, willingly goes to the cross for our sin, just as the scripture said, and there he gives his life. He dies on the cross, which, which pays for and settles all of our mess and debt, and then he defeats death, and he rises again, the first of many. Uh, and, and for us who can follow now in what he's done, making it possible for us to be reconciled to God, uh, and, and then having eternal life with him. Full life now and full and abundant life forever. So this is what's happening in the gospel in the good news. We'll talk more about that in a minute. It also says that he appeared to a lot of people. Um, Peter and then the 12 and then 500 uh, of the brothers at the same time. Uh, and, you know, the list is about 515 or so that's there. That Jesus appeared to after his death and, and in his resurrected Body. He appears to over 500 people. So there are hundreds of eyewitnesses to this event at the time that Paul writes this. In effect, what he's saying is, if you don't believe us, 
there's hundreds of people you go and talk to. Most of them are still alive. Go and ask them. So we have eyewitness testimony, which is huge when you're trying to prove something. Um, eyewitness testimony is one of the most powerful things that you can have. There's hundreds. There was hundreds of witnesses at the time who saw it. Now, another big proof of this is the empty tomb. The tomb was empty. And, and this is what we're celebrating, really, today, the empty tomb. Jesus defeated death. That's what we're celebrating on Easter. And, and I, I like to think of the encounter it had on the, on the people who first, on the impact it had on the people who first encountered it. So let's talk about that. If you have your notes, first point is this. The impact on the soldiers. The soldiers were impacted by this event. Matthew 27, 65, 66. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So a guard was posted, or a watch, as it's translated in some versions, which means there was more than one guard. It was a watch. There was probably four guards, which is how they would have been made up, so that three would stay awake while one slept. I held up four, but it's three uh, while one slept. And, and so the, they were there, and when Nicodemus and Joseph had put Jesus' body in the tomb, they rolled this big stone over it, covering the tomb. The soldiers took their position around it, and they stayed there for this three-day period. Three awake, one sleeping throughout the process. But they were hardly prepared for what actually happens in Matthew 28, 2 and 4. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So, boom, they, you know, I always tease you when an angel appears in the scripture, it's a pretty fearful thing. Because they always say, do not be afraid. Except here, they weren't very happy with the guards, apparently, the angels. Because they just let them go, Whoop, be very afraid. They had, it was a shot, though. Seeing an angel should have stirred, their, stirred them up a little bit. They couldn't move. So as soon as they re, you know, can move and recover, they run. They go running off. Now, they decide, some of them, they're going to go and tell the priest what's happened. Let's look at the priest. Uh, that's point number two, the impact on the priest. The, the established religious leaders of the day who had rejected Jesus, even though they knew that God was doing something because of the miracles and everything, they had it, but they didn't like the package. So they, they'd had him killed. Matthew 28, 11 through 15. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and divided a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you're to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Now, if you were asleep and something happened, how would you know anyway? It's kind of a silly story, right? So, but it's made up. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble because they could have gotten in big trouble for falling asleep on the job. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. It's still a story that gets circulated. People want to say that this didn't really happen, but we got things telling us it actually did happen. You know, you might hope that these people who had an idea that Jesus really was something would have had their heart and hearts changed when they found out that the, he wasn't in the tomb. They, they knew, but they decided to have hard hearts, just like Pharaoh did back in the Old Testament. And they decide to go with their own plan and their own sort of thing, and they're going to stick to their own sort of made-up belief rather than embrace the truth. How about the women? Point number three, the impact on the women. Other than the soldiers, the first ones to learn about the empty tomb were the faithful women who had watched Joseph and Nicodemus bury him there in the tomb. And they came back as soon as they could. 
Luke 23, 55, 56. The, woman, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes. But they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So from our scripture today, we see that these, these faithful women who had hung in there with Jesus, when everybody else had run off, they had stayed, and they had seen where his body was laid. They were the first ones back there, so they could finish any preparations that might need to happen, and they find out that he's not there. And the angel says to them, don't look for the living among the dead. He's risen. He's not here. And so they run back to tell the, the 12 and uh, the, the 11, whatever they got going, and... Uh, they, the guys don't believe them when the women get there. But the women knew. The women had seen. The angel had been there. They'd seen Jesus. They had it all. So what about the disciples? Point four. Most of the disciples at this point just kind of dismiss what the women tell them. But Peter and John take off running for the tomb. Two of the closest ones to him. And that, you know, they had been fighting him the whole time because he kept telling them, this is what's going to happen, guys. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to defeat death. No, you're not, Jesus. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're going to take over politically. And, he, and so, but these two were very close. And even though that's, you know, not there the way they wanted to see it, they, hmm, we need to go and see what's happened. And so they go running to the tomb. John 20, 3 and 9, 3 through 9. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still not did un didn't understand that from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So it's starting to have some impact, at least on Peter and John. They're thinking, wow, something's happened. They weren't sure yet exactly, but they were getting stirred up. Finally, fifth, the impact on the world and on us today. Here's the reality. The tomb's empty. The tombs of every, every other religious leader, uh, every other political leader, philosopher, whatever, um, all their tombs are still filled. They're still full. They're still there. They, they, they hold the remains of their occupants as they go back to dust. But not that of Jesus Christ. His body was only there three days. And then having been resurrected, glorified, immortalized, he appears to his disciples, showing himself to be alive. In Acts 1-3, it says this, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So hundreds of people saw this, and he had appeared many times to his disciples over the next 40 days after the resurrection. And then he ascends back to heaven. Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. He ascends back to heaven where he's been praying for us until his return. The Holy Spirit comes at, at Pentecost and stays with us. Fully God, God, Father, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he's still with us. But Jesus is waiting to return until the Father sends him to catch us in the process. But the empty tomb, see, proves that Jesus rose from the dead after suffering and dying for our sins and for the sins of all the world. This had to happen for our sakes. 
His resurrection in turn proves that, that he's the God of all creation. For only God can conquer death. And, and that proves that all his promises for us are true. And, and, and when he comes back, everything that he said will be completely and totally fulfilled. But he's made a way for us right now to be reconciled to God. He said this in Romans 10, 9 and 10. Paul says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It's a great promise. See, that's how we embrace that good news that I was talking about. That's what we do. We begin to realize all that Jesus has done and what it looked like and how it all comes together and what the problem was that we were separated from a holy God. Even if we're good folks, we're separated. But he made a way. And, and that's what we celebrate, his coming at Christmas and his defeating death and making us our way back at Easter. And in, in us, all we need to do is confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. You're not being asked to believe in a, in a myth or a fable or a fairy tale, but in a proven fact that this was the way that God made for us to be reconciled to him. Now, what I want to do is this, and we're going to sing again more in a moment, and so we're, we're going to come back to, to worship and song. But I want to take a moment this Easter and, and make sure that you've all had a chance to respond to that promise by, by saying a simple prayer that in effect just says that Jesus is Lord and that you believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead and that this is the beginning of your forever journey with him, that it all starts with, with that simple prayer. And so we, would you just do me a favor? I'm going to just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. Because this is something between, you know, you and God and, and, and me so I know who I'm praying for. And, and in a moment, not yet, I'm going to have you raise your hands if you'll pray for me. If you oh, that's right. I need that. I hear that. I believe that. And I want to say that prayer. And know that he's my Lord and my Savior forever. And I'm not going to call you up front or do anything like that when I ask you to raise your hand. I just want to know who I'm praying for. So heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment. If you could say, you know what, Steve, I want to pray that prayer tonight on this Easter weekend. And I want to know that I'm with him forever. Would you just slip your hand in the air so I can pray for you? Would you say, you know, Steve, that's me. Okay, I see your hands coming up. Yes. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. Now just repeat after me this simple prayer. And everybody can pray this because family do things together. Say this simple prayer. Lord Jesus. Please forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray for you. You don't need to repeat after me. Father, thank you for all those who raised their hands and prayed that prayer. And I pray, God, right now you would fill them to overflowing with your spirit, that they would know how much you love them. And I pray for everyone, God. Refresh and refill us all with your spirit. Thank you for the joy of being your children. Thank you for the party set off in heaven. As people come to know you today, Lord. And Lord, have your way. In us we pray. As we worship now.
Just me.